Hi everyone, Valerie here, and welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. In each episode, we tackle different aspects of popular culture, including comics, gaming, movies, and more. We talk about what works, what doesn't, and our vision for a more inclusive space for everyone. In this episode, I interview LadiesCon 2019 guest, artist, and writer Tana Ford. Well known for her 12-issue run on Marvel Silk, Tana has also been the recipient of the Queer Press Grant in 2010, was a Lambda Literary Award finalist in 2014, came in second for a 2019 Hugo Award, and if that wasn't impressive enough, she is currently a 2020 Eisner nominee with Nettie Ikorafor for their book LaGuardia. You can see more of Tana's work and learn more about her at TanaFord.com or reach out to her directly at hey at TanaFord.com. And now, on with the podcast. So, hi, Tana, and welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. We're really, really excited to uh, finally find the time to get you to record with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, um... As many people know, you are originally sort of from the Boston area, and you come up and you visit, and you were at LadiesCon last year, and a couple of us had the opportunity to see you earlier this year. And before we sort of get into your work, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of what you're up to now. We found ourselves in a really oh, strange world. Being in quarantine is weird. You know, the last time I was in Boston was right before everything got locked down in March. I actually had to cut one of my, my trip home short. Mm -hmm. But I hung out with the ladies con ladies. You guys were among the last human people I saw before I went into hiding for months and months and months. Oh, so I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wonderful. We played trivia at a bar. It was, There were people there. No, we didn't get sick, uh, but then we shut everything down. So that's uh, that's yeah. one of my sweet memories, anyway. The, of the before times. The before four times. But quarantine has been okay. My partner runs a clinic in a VA hospital. She's an eye doctor. And so our exposure risk is pretty high. So for the last several months, the only human that I have really seen is my girlfriend. And uh, it... It's okay. It's weird. I love her very much. We're, it's, it's weird. It's a weird time. Right. Because you would normally work from home a lot of the time anyway, right? Yes. And I still do work from home, you know, making comic books. It's my That's what I do. But, you know, I mean, there were an aspect of what I do for a living is going to comic book conventions and doing book signings and meeting fans and networking with other professionals and friends in the industry and all of that has come to a screeching halt and it has been an adjustment you know it's I've uh on the upside I've gotten to consume a lot of media that I don't normally consume you know we're always going 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 and since all of my conventioning and events have been canceled I've been catching up on Netflix shows and series I've never watched. I got into Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently, and uh, it's really funny and kind of kind of sweet and great. So uh, that and a whole lot of other sort of sci-fi and fantasy series. It's been nice. Yeah. Now, you make a good point about, like, being a creator during the pandemic. I realize what a double-edged sword it is, right? Because there is more time for people to be, like you said, consuming people's creative work. Yes. But if you're not working, you don't always have the money to get more or new things. Yes. And exposure is tough. This is all very true. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so there's uh, the the great things about comic book conventions that 
I knew I really enjoyed, but I didn't know I would miss this much. Our meeting with fans, you know, we I make a thing in a vacuum. You know, I work on my on my books pretty much alone. I'm only talking to my editor, to the writer. You know, I have very, you know, I've got contact with my creative team, but that's it. And then I get out there, you know, you make a thing um, and you put it out in the world and then you want people to react to it. And I'm fortunate. I mean, people can react. People can talk to me on Twitter. You know, I have, uh, you know, you can, we live in the digital age, but it's not the same as when you can, you know, go to a show and, and meet people face to face and have conversations and geek out about the stuff that you mutually love. And, uh, and I miss that. Yeah. I know it's been a very sad and lonely sort of con season. And uh, oh. for those of us who have cons in the fall, it's going to be a really interesting thing to um, sort of see how, how things move forward. Now, here's my other question, though, about you and the quarantine. Have you picked up any like new skills now that you find yourself at home more? Uh, yes. So I have always done things like I am a sculptor and creative and I'm also a handy lesbian. So I've been like fixing things around the house and I've started a like a Snapchat series called Handy Lesbian that I just sent to my like family and friends. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny too. And it'll be like a leaky pipe. And then I like stitch together a little video of me like fixing the leaky pipe or whatever. But the thing that I've gotten into most in quarantine has been Dungeons and Dragons online. <gasps> that's like... Yeah, that's like my big outlet now. And it and it serves as a way I got my like my non nerdy friends to play uh, in games that I'll DM for them. And it allows us to all like hang out at night, drink some wine together, you know, we run it through discord and roll 20. And so our discord chat just becomes nothing but animated gifs that are jokes about what whatever nonsense we're getting up to in the game. And it's so much fun. So that's been a bright spot. Oh my gosh, we're absolutely going to circle back around and talk about D&D because I've, I've noticed, and, and you can think about this, is um, a lot of us have sort of picked up D&D more recently in our adult phase of our lives. Yes, I never had access to it as a kid. And I feel like, I, you know, maybe I wouldn't love it as much as I do right now if I had been into it before, right. but I found it late and I, and I love it so much. I love the collaborative storytelling, right? Like that's my whole deal. That's what I do for a living. That is my profession is making stories with people. And so this is up my alley for sure. And it's it's just been so fun. And that's such a great point about like maybe loving it more like as an adult, because, you know, when I was a kid, I don't like a kid. Well, when I was like a teenager or before then, like, I'm not sure I would have been as sort of fearless and comfortable with myself to do some of the role playing. Yes. Uh, one of the interesting aspects, too, I'm an out lesbian. I don't know how much your audience knows about me, um, but I identify as a queer person. I am an out lesbian. And one of the things that surprised me about modern D&D is how queer friendly and like trans friendly and community oriented the entire culture of D&D is. Because you had this idea of it as a very white, very masculine, like kind of isolated space at least that's what I thought of when I thought of D&D and you know the stuff when you uh, watch Stranger Things or whatever you know like it was a very white male space and the reality of D&D as far as I have known it is that it is immersive and queer and accepting and super nerdy but in the best best ways and I find it so refreshing I've had kids tell me that uh, that are grappling or coming to terms with their own identities and orientations that practicing with characters, like making a character 
and then making pretend with your friends has helped them identify things about themselves that they might not have known. That's amazing. I've never heard that. Yeah, if you, there's an entire thread about it on Reddit, like um, about these just sort of wholesome stories. Uh, One of them, very quickly, a D&D game master, dungeon master, was running a game for high school students. And all of the kids, they had, you know, eight kids at the table. One of the kids was having trouble. English is not their first language. And they were being very shy and they were having a hard time. And this person, uh, the, the kid's primary language was Spanish. Uh, the dungeon master also spoke Spanish and said, okay, what character are you playing? And the kid said, I'm playing an elf. You're a high elf. Elves do not like the other races, really. Like, they tend to be very much, we're from the ethereal plane, we're from the Feywild. We don't need to mingle with these other people. So your parents didn't teach you common. Raise your hands at the table. How many people speak Spanish? And, okay, all of you guys now speak Elvish. Spanish is Elvish. And so her best friends spoke Elvish, and then it was a way, D&D became this tool to help this child learn English and also create a community. And also they were able to sort of address multilingual things, like she was still part of a team. They still did adventures together. Some kids learned Elvish. The kid that spoke Elvish was learning Common. It was this beautiful, heartwarming story, and there are so many of these kind of things that exists in the D&D fandom that just, I don't know, they're, they're little bright spots for me personally in a dark world. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Sorry, I'm like getting a little emotional. I'm like, that's just... Isn't that so sweet? Oh, I loved it. And it was a way to blend, you know, this, this ridiculous fandom and this world in a way that like actually make made this kid feel better, made her feel like part of a community, you know, and added to the storytelling elements. And the idea to just make one of the languages a real human language, right? Like that Spanish is just Elvish was so brilliant. And that automatically any kid that sat at the table that spoke Spanish can write on their sheet, they speak Elvish. And if they wanted to have a sidebar in Elvish, they could just speak Spanish to each other was so freaking cool. And and, anyway, there are a lot of stories like that. And so it's been really uplifting and also has helped me connect with my own friend group and community it's been nice the ability of people in the creative community to take a story tool or you know whatever and create these really amazing things is just well that's why we're all in this right like that's why we yep yep do all the things that we do like yeah because we think that our stories can make a difference right we think that our stories can touch people's lives and can affect people in a positive way uh and i think that's really important and um, I'm going to use it actually as a segue because, um, you know, a couple of the things that you've been working on uh, more recently have gotten a lot of attention, uh, right? And they're, they're definitely in this whole sort of stream that we're talking about when it comes to, you know, community and inclusion, right? And sort of this new, mm-hmm. like, yep. it's not like that necessarily like a new way of storytelling, but it's, 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 I definitely feel like the stories that we're telling now are different, right, than the stories we would have been reading 10 years ago. So congratulations on, let's see, let me, let me go, like, I'm like, let me look through the, the various awards that you've been uh, <laughs> up for. So let's see, last year, yeah, you came in second for a Hugo Award for a book that you did with Nettie Okorafor, and it was The Black Panther, Long Live the King. That's right. And how was that experience? 
It was phenomenal. Nettie's wonderful to work with. We have a running joke. How many awards can we be up for without having met in real life? Uh, she is a Chicago native. And when C2E2 happened last year, uh, she was in Kansas or Kentucky or something for some reason. And I was like, oh, my God, I came to your home city for this big show and you're not even here. Oh, it's so funny. And LaGuardia, the book that is now up for an Eisner and up for a Hugo Award, which is incredible and, uh, and all of this stuff. You know, uh, I, we, it had just come out and we were going to do the big like press tour and uh, we were like shipped past it in the night. It was so funny. Yeah. Um, so how many, yeah, how many collaborations can we have before we actually meet in real life? Aww. But it will happen someday. Someday. I'd love to have you both at Ladies Con. You guys can hang out. We'll take you out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Good yeah, luck. Right. Uh, she, yeah, Nettie's dance card is pretty Yeah, cool. exactly. Oh, man. I love her though. She's so busy. She is extremely busy. But that being said, the fact that she is so busy is also very exciting. Nettie and I first worked together on in an eight-page short story in the Venomverse, working with the Black Panther, a Black Panther story that was becoming Venomized during a Marvel event called Into the Venomverse. So we just had this short story. It was part of a larger collection. We got to create this character named Uzaru. Uh, the Venom symbiote bonds with a Nigerian girl in our Elseworlds. The Black Panther is killed by the rhino. And so this girl accidentally, fortuitously, serendipitously uh, meets with the Venom symbiote and they bond and they have this really wonderful banter that only Nettie can write. It's so fun. Uh, but the kid is in a wheelchair, but she it's she can transform, right? Like her body becomes like connected with venom. And so she takes on forms of a lot of animals. So she'll become a grasshopper. She flies, she becomes um, a tarantula at some point. She became a dragon in our full length comic book that came later. So we did this short story, fans loved it. Marvel pulled us back together and they were like, hey, will you do a full issue of this one character? And we we're like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And, uh, and so we were able to do like a longer story with this character, and uh, it was our longer story that was up for a Hugo Award. And uh, the way that they send out the Hugo Award like notifications, it has the breakdown of votes. There's let's say six finalists, and then you know the votes get tallied, and so it gets wheedled down. And so for a while we were leading, and then uh, I think I think that we lost by eight votes. I am not good at math, so uh, but I think it was pretty close. And the one that won was Monstrous. And Monstrous is amazing. If you guys have not checked that out, you should. It's wonderful. In a little bit of self-promotion, I am going to say that we did mm-hmm. interview Marjorie a couple years ago. It's like one of our first podcasts. Yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast now and you want to listen to us interview Marjorie Lou um, and hear her talk about Monstrous, we have that for nice. you. Nice. <laughs> and they'll... They'll put the link in the doozy do at the bottom, probably. Right, right. It's one of those things where, like, if it's local, we're going to come for you. Like, in a, in a positive, <laughs> happy way, but we're coming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I love that. I love that so much. Then um, LaGuardia, which is the book that's up for the Eisner and Hugo for this year. Can you tell me a little bit about how, like, that one came about? Yes. Yeah, so I got... Nettie and I worked together at Marvel and uh, then went off and did different things. And I got cold called, cold emailed by one of my literary heroes, Karen Berger. And that was a big freaking day for me. I was standing in line at Chipotle and an email came on my phone and I was like, oh my God. And I had to sit down and I had this like zone out. Oh my God. I can't believe that my 
literary hero. Karen Berger uh, started Vertigo Comics, ran it for years and years, is responsible for getting Neil Gaiman into comics and <sighs> and um, the entire like 80s explosion of, uh, of changing the landscape of comics is helmed by this woman. She is incredible. But so she calls me up and is like, hey, I'm working on this book with uh, Nettie Akorafor. She is raving about you. Do you guys, would you consider being the artist on uh, this book tentatively called LaGuardia? And uh, of course, my answer was yes, emphatically yes. And so we got to work on this series with one of my all-time favorite editors and one of the most excellent um, and brilliant writers of our time. It was Quite a ride. I have I have had this conversation with you in the past about your work on LaGuardia, but I have to bring it up here again because yeah. um, your character design <laughs> in that book. <laughs> I had so much fun with it. I can't. I cannot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I literally like. I mean, so there's a character. So uh, for those of you who are listening and, and haven't read it, there is um, a character named Let Me Live, and it's like a plant-based alien yes his race is called florals there are a lot of different tribes of florals but essentially he's a sentient plant and the design and a drama queen i you know like i can't tell you how many times you've seen like the talking plant that has like the audrey 2 kind of like mouth design and i've never seen anyone like use like the leaves and the vines in that way and it is just tana you are so amazing and talented like (laughs) oh thank you thank you thank you thank you we I share a love of the natural world with Nettie, and so when we were talking about character design, we would go back and forth. She would send. She's a one of these writers that is very good at finding reference material. Which, if you are interested in writing comics or doing anything in a visual media, I would suggest writers out there, aspiring writers out there, that you find pictures and videos and samples of the things that you have in your mind. Uh, you are inventing things out of your imagination, but you want an artist to translate that vision. So the more tools you can give them, the better and I think more fully developed your two visions can be. I think the art and writing teams that do this best, that can communicate ideas best, often translate to the best looking books and the most cohesive stories. Uh, And Nettie is definitely that kind of an author. So she would send me pictures, I would send her pictures back, We based a lot of the character design. I wanted the aliens in this world. The premise of LaGuardia is that aliens exist and they are now um, traveling to the United, not the United States, traveling to the world. And there are two international uh, airports that go, you know, international and interstellar airports on the planet Earth. One of them is in Lagos, Nigeria, and one of them is LaGuardia Airport in New York City. The running joke is that it still has, it's, this is in the future, but it still has constant delays and constant, it's always under right, construction, right. which if you uh, have ever flown to LaGuardia, after I finished my book tour for LaGuardia when it first came out in Floppy Comic, my flight home to Florida was through LaGuardia Uh-oh. and the traffic was so bad, I couldn't get there and I missed my flight. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm like, my backpack is filled with like LaGuardia books. And I was like, this is, this is appropriate. This is the universe. And like, this is just, oh. Uh, yeah, I just sat in the airport for four hours and drew comics. That's what I do. But anyway, so the two interstellar airports on the planet are these two airports, one in Lagos and one in New York City. And there are aliens sort of being tourists on the planet. And some of them are living here and they're from outer space. Now, you said earlier that you read the Binti series. 
This book happens in the Binti universe about a hundred years or so before the events of Binti happen. So there's an alien race that, spoilers, makes an appearance at the very end of LaGuardia. I get to draw them. It might be the first time that they're drawn. It's definitely the first time they're drawn in a comic book. But, um, but these aliens that leave a piece of technology in uh, on Earth for Binti later to find uh, appear at the very end of our book. So this is all sort of in that universe that that Nettie has been weaving for years and years and years. And this is about the arrival of aliens on Earth and what it does to human relations, mm -hmm. how welcoming or not welcoming we are. It is a book about literal alien immigration mm -hmm. at this moment in our you know, worldwide history and at this moment in history. And so it feels very prescient to me that we made this book. Exactly. We talk about, you know, art being inspired by real life events. And this story is so contemporary. There, for me personally, there is a satisfaction in seeing. So LaGuardia is a finalist for the Hugo Award and for the Eisner Award. It's my first Eisner nomination. If you guys don't know, you probably know a lot about comics if you're listening to this comics centered podcast. But the Eisners are like the Oscars of comics. Mm -hmm. And this is my first Eisner nomination in my life, and it is about the work of mine that I am most proud of. It also happens to feature a pregnant Nigerian-American woman on the cover in a protest march across the Brooklyn Bridge with aliens and humans and signs that say things like equality and justice. Immigrants built this country. Like, this is, this is the visual of the book LaGuardia at this moment in history. And so personally deeply proud of this work and it is you should absolutely i absolutely agree like i am i mean i will fully admit that i'm very tickled that at ladies con like i have it i have LaGuardia signed by you it's amazing <laughs> and i'm very proud to have it um and when the eisner nominations came out like there there were a whole flurries of emails between the ladies in our community being like tana <laughs> <laughs> Yay, huzzah, huzzah. have you seen uh, have you seen the, I think it's an Amazon, it might be a Hulu show, um, The Great. It's about Catherine the Great. I have. Her early March. And how they always say huzzah and then smash glasses. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's become like my mental, like, it's it's what I think of every time I get celebratory about anything. Huzzah! And then I just want to like smash a glass. I would never smash a glass, but I want to. Well, I think, he, okay, so here's the plan. They've announced just recently in the next like last day or so that, um, so once again, those of you who are listening probably already know this, but the Eisners are um, awarded during San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. So, but there isn't going to be a San Diego Comic-Con in San Diego this year. They've announced that it is going to be virtual and free. Which is going to be very exciting. So I can only assume that the Eisner ceremony is going to be part of that. Uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, so I've never been to an Eisner award ceremony. Uh, I've been up for a couple of awards. My early, my early work was all primarily gay stuff. I, I cut my teeth. My first original graphic novel was called Duck. It was about a pair of lesbian friends that go on a cross-country adventure together. Uh, it was called Duck. I did a sequel to that mm -hmm. called Duck Second Chances and centered it around Boston and my beloved uh, Boston lesbian community. Both of these books are available as digital downloads. They're sold out, but you can find them through my website at tanaford.com. I don't mean to be plugging my stuff. The point of this is... Oh, please. Please do. 
Duck Second Chances was up for a Lambda Literary Award, which is a big deal in the gay community. Uh, and Duck, the original graphic novel, had won a Prism Comics Queer Press grant. And so the I've been to some award ceremonies and I've done some, you know, things. So I know kind of how it works, but I don't have any insider. Like, I don't know how they run the Eisners. Uh, I've never been at WonderCon, which is where they do the Hugo Award announcements as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're not having WonderCon this year. So it'll be, uh, I'm interested to see how they handle yeah. those things. Last year, I got an invitation you know, to go to the after party, but WonderCon was in Ireland, I want to say, and I was not going to be in Ireland, so I did not go. I've seen video of the Eisner Awards. So Kamikaze was actually up for an Eisner mm -hmm. um, and won <gasps> a few years ago. Yeah, for, for best story. Like, yeah. You guys are Eisner Award winners. I should have known that. It was that. very exciting. I probably knew that somewhere in my brain, but, you know. I, I, I think when you walk through the store, you've probably, like, you know, seen something right about where, it where do you, I, I um, have they, to, they flash it up on their little their little screen because you know it's a, it's it is once again it's the oscars of comic of books yes and i you have so many cases at the store is it in one of the cases at the store the actual award i don't know if it is like it was really i i, I have seen it um because <laughs> it was like this big thing that we were all like are we gonna get to see it like you're gonna let us near it yeah but I'm not sure where exactly it is now. Nice. I should. I should probably. I should probably ask. Um, <laughs> but I'm just like part of me is like kind of bummed because I'm like, well, if they're doing it virtual, this is your first Eisner's, and you're not going to get like the full experience. I know. However, Tana, I, know. I, know. I say stream it outside with a glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. And be ready. Yes. If you win. Just me and my adorable dogs. I'll put tiaras. I have three dogs. So I'll just put tiaras on my little dogs. And uh, and, have, right. and I'll make sashes. Uh, you know, one that says winner. And one that says runner up. Or second place. Or at least you were nominated. And it'll, be, yeah, it'll be a whole party for me and the pups. Right. And then you can throw your glass or whatever. Or something. You know. I'm like, it's not the safest thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, we'll find something. Maybe we'll. Uh, I've always wondered if you could buy those breakable glass, like sugar glasses that they break in TV. Oh, that'd be perfect. And then my dogs could eat the sugar. No, that would be bad for their dogs. <laughs> sugar's bad for dogs. Right. It's like, I'm not sure you want to deal with that one, but. Yep, yep, yep. But then all the bugs would, I'm sure, love it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But I will definitely be um, keeping a close eye yep. on. Um, it goes and I wish you the best oh, of luck thank you so much thank you so much it'll be it'll be nice to see how these things go I think uh, I I don't have the categories in front of me but um, I know that I'm very proud of the work that we do and I have devoted my life to doing work and representation in comics this isn't you know this is something that matters very deeply to me I got to make a lesbian Spock uh, when I was working at IDW they put in a lesbian Spock who in her universe is married to Ohara at Uharu. <laughs> I can never say it. Uh, Ohara. Yeah, I did it. I did it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they're married in her universe. But uh, in the same, you know, episode that I got or issue that I got to make a gas Scotty and a plant based Kirk that we called Plurk. Like, if you're going to have fun with things, like, there can't be a plant based Kirk and no gay people in space, right? Like, Give me, right. give me a lesbian Spock. I mean, it's the least we can do. So I got to draw that. And I get to, and for me, that's a big deal. I got to work on Gem and the Holograms. 
uh, you know, Silk has, uh, I did a lot of work at, at Marvel on the Silk franchise and she's got two lesbian best friends that she helps get together uh, and be honest with each other about their feelings. And so I feel like the most important vein through my entire career is making the kind of representation in the world that was missing when I was a kid and that is so valuable to me. Yes. Uh, and, to, and to kids like me. No, it's absolutely true. It's make it's make the stories that you want to see. Yep. But also to like, and those stories, they're not even just for like people in the community. Like I'm, I'm, I'm always saying like. Of course not. It's also to educate those of us who aren't. Yeah. And like, listen, if we can all read about Charles Dickens and like the, the white Victorian, like, that doesn't relate to my life at all, right? Like that's far mm-hmm. away and not at all my experience. But I can, I understand what it felt like to be in those stories or, or to understand them. Also, Mrs. Havisham uh, in Great Expectations. Do you know how old she was in that story? Was she like 40? Yes, she was four. <laughs> oh, she's, she's painted as this. She wears a wedding dress. She lives in a dusty old mansion. She hasn't left. There's still the wedding cake from where she was stood up by, you know, the rapscallion that stands her up. She is the yep. evil witch of the story. And she is 40 years old, but she's painted as some cackling old hag. Oh, man. So, like, if Mrs. If I could get Mrs. Havisham, which, by the way, justice for Mrs. Havisham, if I could get that character, right, and understand, you know, all of the impoverished Victorian England stuff that is so far away from my own real lived experience, then, of course, people can read about other human beings' experiences and have understanding of it, empathy of it, learn what a queer community is like, or, you know, whatever, you know, this is, that's the great secret key of literature. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It opens the doorway in Narnia, you know, like you get to go to other worlds. That's the whole deal. Right. Because great storytelling is great storytelling, right? Yep. I have a question for you. Sure. Do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Of course I do. (laughs) Can you... (laughs) Now, do you have a character that you're currently playing? I have three. Okay, let me guess. A gnome or a small barbarian? Oh my gosh, one of them yeah. is a gnome. That is not, true. Not a barbarian, though. A gnome what? Um, oh gosh, a rogue. And, uh, that's, a good, that's a good rogue. Uh, what's your... What's yeah. a, let me guess another one. Hold on. You've got... Uh, you have a Goliath of some kind. I do. <laughs> I'm getting it. I'm two for two. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're, um, you're very, you're very good. Like the result was basically is that so the first character I created was one that was like kind of the easiest for me to play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of like me only like with the volume turned up. And then as I got more com- comfortable with the game, I was like, I'm going to branch out and learn how to do others. Okay. So the newest character that I created, that is a game that I am literally playing just to play with like a child. Okay. Like, friend of mine, like, basically my friend's kid. Yep, yep. Who, like, you know, I'm in that weird aunt role. I love that. Like, emailed me one day being like, Auntie Valerie, will you play Dungeons and Dragons with me? And I was like, sure. I'm I'm just rolling other character. (laughs) (laughs) That one is, like, yeah, that one is, um, the, that one is, like, pretty much, like, a, it's a wall of a character. uh, Just a, just a big old brick wall. I love it. Yeah. And, um, she's a, she's, (laughs) she's an ex-pirate who got kicked off of her ship. Yes. For um, taking the wrong side of a mutiny. Nice. And she's pretty much just like the muscle. I love it. I love this so much. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I created a character name that is a ranger 
named Hermione. So her name is Hermione Ranger, which I was very proud of. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in, in that in that book franchise written by who knows who uh, written by nobody um and then i also oh yeah i can't yeah i've been talking about that a oh lot lately God. i can't even that's like yeah. another podcast yeah. that we could talk about for it's hours so terrible uh and then i made a bard character named daenerys Stormsong. feel free to steal that <laughs> mother of dragons uh as a bard hey. class so I think I'm just in D and D for like the dad jokes that I can fit into it, you know, uh, for the quip. I think that's a valid reason to play, yeah. though. I absolutely find that valid. I'm into it. I'm into it for the quips. I had mistyped. I, I wanted a uh, magical store where my players could go and buy magical items, and I was chatting with them, you know, text chatting with them, and I was writing really quickly, um, you know, and so it auto corrected, or I misspelled. Uh, magical items to and it autocorrected to mango cal uh, like capital M mango capital C cal items mango cal items at blah 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 and my players were like what is a mango cal and I was like oh my god it was magical but it's going to be the name of the shopkeep that's the little inventor gnome who uh, is a little crazy and invents stuff and his name is mango cal <laughs> God, yes. Like, that is the best thing about D&D is, like, you can roll with pretty much anything. And that's what I love about it so much is, yeah, there's just the, I don't know, the whimsy to it. And you can, you sort of get to riff with your friends like you would anytime you're just hanging out with your friends. I like it. I like it a lot. And the enthusiasm around it, I find just so sweet. So basically... I started playing my first game only like maybe like two or two or three years ago. Um, and a friend of mine, like from high school, was like, "I'm going to learn how to DM," and um, he also like teaches film. Oh, um, so like so storyteller makes movies. Yeah, so I was like, "Yeah, I want to be in on that." So Heck that was like sort of the first one, and and we meet on Sundays when we can to play that game. And then another friend of mine found out that we were playing, and he was like, "Wait a minute." You guys are playing a D and D game, and like you didn't tell me. <laughs> like, uh oh. So now there's actually a Ladies of Kamikaze D and D game that has like a bunch of us. Yeah, from like you know a couple years ago um, that we play. Oh, I love it. And so much. then that recently is is the one that I'm going to start playing with the with um the kid. Aw, uh, what's the age of the kid? What age group? I feel like there's a difference between if you're doing, you know, like a nine-year-old or a 14-year-old or, you know, a 17-year-old. You can scale a, an adventure to different age groups. Um, he's eight. Okay. So the eight, nine, sure. Yep. Yeah. So, like, it's going to be, I mean, it's, it's so basically he's going to play, I'm going to play, his dad's going to play, and his mom's going to play. I love it. And I'm really excited because I just, some of the things that comes out of his mouth, like when we're not playing yeah. D&D are entertaining enough as is. So like in a fantasy yeah. context, it's going to be even more amazing. And I think being able to tap into that kind of the creative side of a person, uh, especially of a developing mind is really great. Uh, it teaches them storytelling. It teaches them creative writing, teaches them creative thinking. Uh, and also one of the aspects that I like best about the game is the moral conundrum. If you can present a sort of dilemma, like a we here's the right thing, but here's this other motivation. Like, do we do this thing that is objectively bad for money, or do we do this good thing for no money? And it doesn't have to be boiled down that simple, but two perfectly valid paths that you as a group have to choose what to do. 
Uh, and I think it's mm-hmm. a really good tool to, you know, just suss out these kind of moral quandaries, right? Because it is a game and you can skew totally dark if you want to, right? Like it's no need to be the hero. You can just be murder hobos if that's the thing that entertains you. Right, right. Uh, but, but I love I love playing in those kind of, I don't know, gray area, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? How do we solve the problem as a group? It is a team building exercise at a time when you can't really play sports or do team activities. You can still get some part of that uh, sitting down at a table with people that you love. Now, here's my question for you. Are you playing um, like pre-made campaigns or are you doing like homebrews? So I do homebrews, but I started them in pre-made campaigns. So there is the Tyranny of Dragons campaign that I stole some maps from and some characters from, but have gone off in a completely different direction. And that's one of the campaigns that I run. And the second one I run is all invention. It is homebrew. But uh, basically, I love Game of Thrones, so I just made them go to Winterfell and hang out with a lot of Winterfell analog people or, you know, northern lords. And uh, and there's a darkness coming over the Elkwood Forest. So it's been a lot of fun, and I find it really satisfying. I'm also very good at drawing, and so I make a lot of homemade maps. I stitch together a lot of uh, battle maps from artists that I follow on Patreon. And so I try to make as immersive an experience for my friends. As I can oh my gosh! I bet it's a, I bet it's amazing, amazing. <laughs> um, and I'm going to put this up for you because this was also a very satisfying experience. Um, yeah. So that first game that I was playing, my friend, um, he took the I think it's called the Curse of Strahd. Yeah. Which is like a pretty well known campaign, right? Yeah. He gender swapped all of the characters for us. I love this. It was amazing. And I highly recommend that more people do that. It was great. So in the campaign that I ran yesterday, I played the longest session of D&D in my life yesterday. I think it was uh, seven hours or something. It was a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, "Uh, does anybody have a life that we need to get back to? Right? Like, uh, is this free? Are we fine? But it was a lot of fun. But I'm using maps from what I think. I've never played Curse of Strahd, but I think they're the house maps. There's like a manor house with secret passages and multi-floors and all this stuff and uh and i'm using roll 20 so i'm able to make dynamic lighting so it's dark until you enter a room and depending on how much light is in the room like it can be a very spooky atmosphere but i'm using maps from curse of strad i think i think that's where they come i'm not sure mm-hmm. um, but i've been able to use them to great effect i locked a, a an adult frost drake a sort of medium dragon creature in the grand ballroom and covered it in ice and nearly had a tpk which for those uninitiated is a total party kill uh Mm -hmm. they were able to break a window climb out shoot some arrows and get away but they were bleeding profusely when they did it Uh, so that's where we left the session it was so much fun yeah so so if anyone is listening and you do not play D&D. Like we have written blog posts and like all this stuff about like how to sort of get over that hump and like find the right people to play with. Yeah, yeah. And if it, if you are curious at all, absolutely like try it out because it is just because oh, so like any game where you can like make the world right yeah. is the best. And I have friends, so I have a friend group uh, that you know, like the friends that are near and dear to me are you know professionals in other areas. They're teachers or doctors or veterinarians or 
you know, like the physical therapists, they're people that like have jobs that are not even tangentially related to the creative field, but I love them the most. And I want to spend time with them the most. And I want to plumb the darkness in their imaginations or the depths of their imagination. So I have been working on them and working on them and trying to get them to play Dungeons and Dragons with me for months. And finally, like it's coming together and it's great. We had a smaller group and now I've got two other friends who are sort of dipping a toe in and I'm trying to be like chill and cool about it and not like over the top excited that, oh my God, they have, they've made up these amazing characters. And I like, I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to like get them used to it because it's a lot. I think the thing about D&D is that the beginning learning it is a heavy lift. And I don't know how to make that less of a heavy lift, right? Like it isn't Monopoly. You roll the dice, you move your token. That's what you do. You read what's on the square and that's it. It's not that. You have to learn a lot of things. God forbid you're a spellcaster. Like it is a heavy load up front. But once you get it, Mm -hmm. it's the best thing. It is the best thing. I love it. Right. And if you have an understanding, like if if your dungeon master is like the right kind of dungeon master for you, right? Like you're never going to yeah. feel stupid and you're never going to feel bad. I, uh, I love how this and you're going to be comfortable turned questions. into a D&D uh, stand podcast. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm oddly okay with that. So wait, yeah. Tana, we are sort of getting towards the end of our yeah. time, but what I do want to ask is a couple wait, I have a couple more questions. About the first one is books. how what? many sets of dice do you have? Oh my goodness. So uh, I don't have too many sets of dice. That would be my official answer. Uh, but I do have less than 100 dice. So I feel like that's an appropriate amount. Yeah. Uh, a normal set of dice is seven. There's seven normal dice for those of you uninitiated. Right. And, uh, and I will I say that it is completely okay to have different sets for each of your different characters. Yep. And your various moods because it is part of your character. <laughs> One of my friends, there is a, uh, one of the things that I like doing, because I'm crafty, uh, I figured out how to dye resin, and so I made little health potion bottles with D4s in them, and depending on size is the health potion, so as I DM, I hand out when I used to play in person, now everybody's just online, but I would, if you would buy a health potion or get a health potion, I would hand it to you, so you would physically be able to shake up the dice and roll it. Oh and gosh. it would be a clear a clear glass bottle. Uh, my girlfriend loves me very much and knows I love whiskey. So for the last two Christmases, she has got me a whiskey, whiskeys of the world tasting kit. And so you get a dram, a little like small glass bottle with a stoppered top that has a certain amount of whiskey in it. And it's different whiskeys. So I got to drink them all. But I was like, oh, these are amazing little glass bottles. I use them to make little uh, potions with and turn them into common health potions. So I put a little bit of red resin and let it settle at the bottom so it looks like there's red liquid. And then I have either red or bright pink D4 in there. And, uh, and so anyway, there's a lot that you can do with your dice. But I had the best idea was a friend of mine uh, was saying that when they play a gnome or a very small race of character, they have double size dice so the dice are you know two times larger than normal dice so the dice look big in their hands making their hand look small and then when they play a goliath or a giant or a full orc they have one time smaller dice so they have these little miniature dice that they roll making their hand appear gigantic and i was like this is the kind of stuff i am here for oh my god i love it i may have to steal i may have to steal that idea that's brilliant 
I love that. A sparkle gem would love for you to steal that idea. <laughs> oh man, it's so smart. It's so smart. It's so it just satisfies me and just like my deeply creative nerdy center. It just I find it so beautiful. I, I just I love when people dive deep. I just love it. I do. So the last thing I just wanted to sort of quickly go over is give you the opportunity to sort of um, take control here at the end and talk about anything that you want to promote that's coming up or that you're working on. Yeah, I've been working on a uh, an original graphic novel called Duck, Third Time is the Charm, which is the third book in my lesbian friendship trilogy. Uh, it's what I started my career in publishing on and so I've grown a lot uh, a lot as an artist and so before I had ever gotten my first job being paid to make comics I had self-published four books two of them had won awards but I still wasn't making many inroads into the industry so I decided that I was going to kickstart a book called Duck Third Time is the Charm. I successfully kickstarted it it's the hardest uh, emotionally hardest weirdest thing I've ever done in my life and before the end of the Kickstarter, I get an email from Marvel asking me if I would want to do an issue of Silk. This would kickstart the rest of my career, like my, my professional career in comics. I would go on to do 12 issues of Silk, uh, you know, all the other books that I've done uh, after that. And in the meantime, I had this Kickstarter book that I thought was going to launch my career that gets sidelined until now. Quarantine is the perfect time for me to be working on this thing. And... It's been really great, not just because it is a story that I want to tell. It originally started as a party weekend in a place called Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is a coastal town at the very tip of Massachusetts at Cape Cod, ends in a little like hook. And the tip of that hook is Provincetown. It is where the pilgrims first landed. Uh, they didn't actually land in Plymouth, Massachusetts. They landed in Provincetown and got supplies. And there's a Pilgrim Monument that's a big tower in the center of town. So it has this rich history, this colonialism history. Uh, but it, for my life, became a party city. Memorial Day weekend just passed. And when I was a young queer person, the time that I felt truly alive and surrounded by queerness, by a queer community for the first time in my whole life was when I went to Provincetown, P-Town on Memorial Day weekend. And that had an indelible effect on me as a queer person, as a, as a young lesbian human. And it has stuck with me my whole life. I went there for years and years and years. I now live in South Florida, but I am revisiting a sort of, uh, not a lifetime spent, but the different seasons of a person's life seen through this sort of seasonal backdrop. And so I get to hang out with friends, right? I'm doing all this in air quotes, hang out with friends at bars because I'm drawing them, go to the beach, air quotes, with friends, like, you know, have conversations <laughs> with human people. And all of that is happening on the page for me. So in a meta way, it's really fascinating to be working on this book at this time in history. Uh, and I wonder if it's if it's infusing the work with a more human touch or a, or a deeper need or something or a, a desire for connection because I'm so starved for that kind of connection. Uh, and so anyway, so that's the book that I'm working on now. And, you know, that's that consumes most of my days. Now, is the plan to put that on your website or do a Kickstarter? Oh, so I did a Kickstarter. Uh, the plan is loosey-goosey at this point. I am far enough into my career that I think when I am done and I have a fully fleshed out graphic novel, I can 
shop it to people. Ah. Uh, I do have to contend, like I don't, I'm not an expert in this realm. So I, I know that I have Kickstarter obligations to fill, uh, but I think as long as there is a published book, I can fill those Kickstarter obligations. There are only 200 people that backed my Kickstarter. It is a manageable number of human people. Mm-hmm. And so the, the book itself, I think when it's done, I can find a publisher for it. I think, you know, I don't know who yet, but uh, any of you uh, graphic novel publishers listening, email me at hey at tanafor.com, blah, blah, blah. But so the, eventually it will get published. I don't believe the, the original idea was to self-publish it as I had with the first two novels. I don't think that's the route I will go this time simply because there are publishing houses that I know. Uh, that I think would really enjoy publishing this material. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we'll see. One step at a time. First, I have to finish drawing it. Well, and definitely we will be keeping an eye on all of the great things that <laughs> you're up to. So well, we have officially hit our time. So Tana, thank you so much for this is, taking the time to chat. This is such a delight. Thank you for hanging out with me uh, during our mutual quarantine. It's been really nice. Hi everyone, Valerie here, and on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.